Welcome back. You're watching Stock Picks. Today we unpack NASPERS, Standard Bank, and NetBank. That's with Southern Cross Capital's Kobas Borghita. Kobas, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm really, really uh, actually grateful that uh, NASPAS was one of your stock picks uh, today because, of course, yesterday NASPAS would have first of all come up with a set of numbers. And I think those numbers were uh, quite shocking, but I guess markets expected it because there's been a NASPAS rally that's going into day number two. So talk to us about uh, this counter right now, Corvus. So, I mean, the numbers are almost by the by, the by um, to be perfectly honest, mm -hmm. but they were better than expected. Mm -hmm. Of course, the major asset within process in NASPERS is Tencent, and Tencent had already reported. So essentially, you know, that, that simply flows through into the into the headline earnings number for, for NASPERS. The reason they beat was in the first place, the uh, the selling of some of the so-called discontinued operations in old X auto for which they got a decent price, which was quite positive. And also the share buyback program, which of course, given that they were trading at such an incredibly deep discount, means that the buybacks were quite, you know, value accretive. If your share is trading at a 40% discount to NAV, you can buy the underlying value at a 40% discount. Mm -hmm. So for, for any company trading at such a substantial discount to its you know, objective value, share buyback programs become incredibly accretive to the shareholders that remain within that, that structure, the ones that are not bought out. And that is part of the reason the numbers beat. So it's not just yeah. a technical, fancy financial engineering thing. Mm -hmm. it's also, it also comes down to, you know, you buying earnings for cheap, essentially. Um, and that made the earnings surprise on the upside. The major thing you've alluded to is, of course, the restructure or, 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 or the destructure or destruction <laughs> of the restructure, which was done in, in 2011, which has got the market excited. And I don't think it's that in isolation. In the first place, you know, they're simply undoing, undoing what they what they did incorrectly in 2021, despite all of the professional investors in Nespers and process, process telling them at the time that this is a terrible idea. The market dislikes complexity, complexity is bad mm -hmm. why would you do cross holdings it makes it difficult for us to value the assets and they had all sorts of nonsensical reasons around the weightings they have in the index uh, you know which 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 means that long-term holders can't hold them and despite that after doing this deal after introducing this additional complexity to do this to the structure the discount widened enormously that discount only narrowed later when they started taking positive steps towards unlocking that value and that most of that was through the share buyback program so that was a major signal that the market really loved instead of destroying value by frivolously in sorry i mean <laughs> like making poor investments mm -hmm. um and frankly destroying shareholder value um uh, in terms of some of these ventures which have now become discontinued which they have exited uh some you know uh, losses in russia and all sorts of bets on tech which have not worked out in markets where they were competing against the likes of Amazon and never had half a chance. Um, you know, some would say that this management team got lucky with the 10 cent investment and were trying to repeat that and simply didn't have the ability to do that. And instead of that, as custodians of this holding company, they should have been trying to look, look after shareholders. Mm -hmm. What the buyback signaled is we're going to use all of this value to actually to actually, instead of in investing it into these early stage businesses, we will buy back shares, we will create value for, for the existing shareholder base. And now this, 
you know, a destruction of the old complicated structure, further simplification of the structure, the market likes that. So, so those, those sort of three things, exiting those non-core businesses, doing those aggressive buybacks, and then simplifying the structure, the market has taken, taken that as very, very positive steps. And we've seen those discounts narrowed to, frankly, historically narrow levels now. Mm -hmm. So that has created a lot of value for shareholders. In, in, in the wake of, to be fair, some value, the structure that was introduced by management. I must ask you, Kobus, about the weight of Tencent uh, within NASPACs and Process. And I'm wondering if there isn't room here for uh, just some, some sort of diversification. Just considering, um, I mean, China, we know that that can be a rather volatile uh, picture there. But, you know, uh, the, the impact of Tencent not performing well is so direct and so hard. And, of course, the upside is equally true. Um, but, you know, isn't there room there for diversification? Well, uh that's sort of been taking place because they have been reducing their holding in Tencent. Mm -hmm. And I mean, when you think about it, it's it's quite brilliant. You know, I can own Tencent, say the value of Tencent is 100 mm -hmm. and my NASPERS is trading at a 40% discount to NAV. So the value of my NASPERS is 60, right? Which, I mean, that's completely nonsensical, mm -hmm. but that's not the real value, but this is a hypothetical. Mm -hmm. Now I sell my Tencent at 100 because it's trading at that and i use that money to buy one and a half nasper shares mm -hmm. right i've now created value for my shareholders mm -hmm. i know i now own actually like the underlying and ends up owning more of the asset uh you know without having done anything so uh so from that perspective they have been divesting because they do of course have other nice core businesses the media assets and, and the the classifieds businesses specifically um and in the meantime they've been exiting quite a lot of the 10 cents and diversifying the diversifying diversifying it on that basis but ultimately in terms of looking for market performance i don't want to make my diversified portfolio investments at this steep discount mm -hmm. the low-hanging fruit in this situation is unlocking at the discount first and once they've done that they can maybe look at diversifying the business but i do agree with you you know it became a, a 10 cent proxy and it became a poor Tencent proxy because of the discount, you know, mm -hmm. just paid more to go own the Tencent directly. And they've seemingly now have done quite a lot to, to turn that around and make this a really nice vehicle for holding that Tencent. But I'm sure they will, I mean, they've got to justify their existence as a management team, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, otherwise, you could fire everyone and just have a CIO and a CFO and, and manage this holding company as leanly as possible. So there will be, there will be more to come. But uh, uh, but hopefully, you know, that focus, this focus on value creation has signaled to the market, you know, that, that these guys are serious about, uh, uh, about managing that value for shareholders. Wonderful. We're watching this one very closely. Uh, you know, the biggest company on the JSC, certainly worth all our attention at Corbus. Let's talk now about the two banks, uh, which are also up your stock picks, NetBank and Standard Bank. Uh, I'm not sure if you want to speak about them, you know, individually um, or together. We can go ahead. Well, it's topical, I guess, because uh, NetBank released their uh, their, tra their pre-closed trading update two days ago, and Standard Bank released theirs towards the end of last week. I think we've seen across the board um, increasing pressure on the credit situation, specifically the provisions being raised in the in the alarmist sorry terms stand in Standard Bank situation by fifty percent. But I mean, moving something from 1% to 1.5% is technically a 50% move, but that doesn't mean it's that far away from targets, right? Mm -hmm. So both, in both instances, they are at the top end or just above the top end of their targets at uh, redundancy range. At, given the point in the cycle we are at, 
and the pressure we know the consumer is on, that's probably not a bad outcome. Mm -hmm. And in both cases, I think they are set up really, really nicely for uh, for for a really good uh, following six months post this closing period, post post this H one result, because of that sort of stabilisation in the credit outlook, and the bank in particular flagged that in the last month of this five months they had a very very good credit outcome. So from that perspective, if we at that turning point, but the rates remain high and the rates are high. Um, the banks are gonna gonna do really really well. Something it's something called the endowment effect, which I was thinking we should include it as the educational piece, but mm -hmm. we'll leave it for another day. Mm -hmm. But essentially, that's the spread between what they borrow and lend at. And whenever rates are high, that spread tends to widen. And because they're well positioned, because they're not suffering really bad redundancy. Um, they are set to post really, really good earnings growth. In the case of NetBank, we're looking at upper teens, you know, just below 20%. In the case of Standard Bank, we we are looking at Southern Cross for around 25% headlines earning growth mm -hmm. from a bank, mm -hmm. from a big four bank. It's such a boring business. Show me another <laughs> business in South Africa, another major blue chip mm -hmm. that is increasing earnings that quickly. And just because of, you know, these are really, really well-managed banks, well-managed businesses, good cost control and very conservative lending and they are set to benefit from this high interest rate environment and then on top of that standard bank which is to my mind become a bit of a darling in the space mm -hmm. has all of this um african exposure which is working out for i think the african ex, ex of africa contribution to headline earnings has gone from 35 percent to 42 or 45 percent sure. in the last period that's enormous so they seem to be executing quite well and that whole thesis around Standard Bank being, you know, the African bank um, is finally coming through for yes. shareholders instead of being an actual drag on earnings. So uh, they seem to be really well positioned and getting really good growth in this high interest rate environment. So I like the banks at this level um, and these updates seem to seem to support that view. I mean, another view that we have with banks, uh, South African banks, especially the big four corpus, is that they're dirt cheap. And that's really based on the hammering that SA Inc. Um, has received uh, globally and also, I guess, the, the, that whole sell-off. I'm wondering if that's still the case and really if this is a good time, uh, you know, to jump on, on uh, SA banks. Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, you alluded to both the local and the global situation. The local situation is just local stocks are dirt cheap. And then local stocks were dirt cheap and then Credit Suisse made a made a couple of bad calls in their prime brokerage business and there was systemic risk and a failure in at one and that at one shock was really really bad for banks because mm -hmm. it's a tier one capital paper it's meant to be the last sort of debt instrument that gets wiped out before the equity holders get wiped out but in credit suisse's um, case the swiss regulators effectively overrode the practice wiped out those debt holders and uh, gave the equity holders a small stipend and the market did not like that and initially that caused like a fear of will they be able to fund themselves but i can tell you now now those tier one tier one capital papers locally for these banks i can't buy them for level money mm. everybody wants them so <laughs> so they're having no trouble financing themselves in this environment and uh, um, and i think that's sort of dying down but you're absolutely right that's part of why they are so cheap and have been so cheap a is the ink is cheap and b credit suisse somehow put an overhead on our uh, you know overhang on our banks despite the fact that our banks have excellent capital structures ex you know uh, 
uh, all of the ratios are way above target in terms of Basel III. So uh, um, they're really well capitalized and really conservatively managed. It's nothing like Credit Suisse. It's nothing like First Republic. Um, and that systemic risk simply won't spill over here because we don't have exposure to those markets. And uh, so from that perspective, I think it's just a really nice time to get into these banks. Mm-hmm. And they, in the short term, they are set to benefit from this environment in any case. And in the medium term, they have the thesis around the re-energization of the grid. And who's going to do the finance for all of the solar, for all of these mm-hmm. renewables, for all of these alternatives? It's going to be the banks. Yeah. Standard Bank, I believe, are estimating, not for themselves, for the market, a trillion in lending to re-energize the grid, a trillion rand. Mm -hmm. Who's going to do that lending? And it's really nice, asset-backed lending. It's going to be the big four banks. Mm -hmm. So from that perspective, you know, the prospects for them are really, really nice. Um, In a gold rush, sell shovels. And I think, you know, the banks are a nice way to play the re-energization thesis. Kobus, I must ask you, you know, we speak about the big four, but of course, uh, you know, what we have seen in South Africa is the big five. I'm wondering there, you know, with, uh, with that uh, picture, with the big four versus the big five, uh, if it, it, we will get to a point where the fifth bank can, uh, you know, kind of participate in this exact um, effect that you're speaking about, for instance, uh, funding solar, uh, really being able to, uh, you know, uh, um, diversify throughout the continent or, or so on and so forth. Or is it going to still remain a game of these four players and then the others kind of on the outliers it's a difficult one to mm-hmm. say because i think uh Capitec obviously have aspirations to uh, um you know to make further inroads in the other banks traditional models and then the retail space they certainly have it's if we've yet to be seen if they're going to be doing home loans and mm-hmm. asset-backed lending and really do well out of that I'm sure that's in the pipeline. Mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see how that how that works for them. In the short term, they are, of course, the most vulnerable because they do unsecure lending and this high interest rate environment and the, the, the average uh, LSM that they deal with is simply more exposed uh, than, than what you would expect from the big four. And they certainly don't have the capacity to do the, well, maybe they do. I mean, I wouldn't want to underestimate yeah. them. But in terms of their existing client base, in terms of their existing offering, there's no sort of instantaneous leverage lever that they can pull to help with the re-energization pro- um, project, at least from a retail investor's perspective. The number one lever which the, the big four banks are pulling mm-hmm. is they have massive home loan books, bonds mm-hmm. books, and they are now offering their clients, hey, you want to add a little bit to that bond and you know we'll give you a special rate and a special deal and you'll use that to install the solar system which uh, you'll do in you know in cooperation with one of our partners and uh, um uh, you know and uh, and that way they're expanding their lending book like it's still pretty much asset based it's pretty low risk it's an asset that sort of pays for itself mm-hmm. over time and they you know the client they have just fits in nicely so they can leverage the existing book to get in on that action and then on the other side you know they have the likes of, of netbank capital and rmb and absent mm. capital they'll go out to the to the private producers and do like massive massive infrastructure lending there and get the guys to put up you know gigawatts of gigawatts of uh, uh, production mm. that's uh, a Another area where Capitec has zero footprint. Mm. So I'm sure in the, in, at some stage they'll uh, um, they'll get to that, assuming that's in the pipeline for them. But uh, uh, but for the moment, no, I don't think they are as well positioned in terms of in, in just in terms of access. Uh, the big four are simply 
the best positioned. And then I should mention Investec as well. Investec's doing quite a lot in that space. If that was perhaps the fifth bank you wanted to allude to. <laughs> that actually was um, Capitec. You were right. <laughs> okay. okay. Well, but Investec are actually doing quite a bit of work, um, both yes. from, from the PPE perspective and the, the private lending, you know, the retail customers perspective. Again, having partners that they work with, offering you, offering, you know, you, a, a bit of an addition to your home loan to install solar for your place. So, uh, so from that perspective, they are also well positioned to exploit that opportunity in the local space. We'll be watching which one, uh, which bank kind of makes uh, the most from this uh, energy crisis. There's always a winner in a crisis, uh, Corvus. Let's talk now about, uh, you know, the term of the week. It is short selling. Uh, really help us understand exactly how this term, uh, you know, can be used and what it is really. So if you Google the term, you'll find that this is when I, 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 I borrow security and I sell it in the market. Um, and I buy it back. And the idea is instead of buying low and selling high, which is traditional, traditional investments, you know, but how we think about them. In this instance, I'm trying to sell high and buy low, but there's an absolutist or a zero sum game there, mm -hmm. which, which can, you know, potentially be true. Let's say I'm bearish on Capitec because mm -hmm. of the creditors environment and I want to exploit that view. So maybe I'll short some Capitec thinking it will it will decrease in value over the next six months or so. Um, but uh, but it, it also allows us to, to do other things. It mm. allows us to control for market risk. If I have the view that I like Standard Bank because of the exposures we've mentioned, the thesis we've mentioned, mm -hmm. and I dislike Capitec, I can eliminate market risk by buying Standard Bank and shorting Capitec, mm -hmm. and in that t in that way, express a relative view without exposing myself to market mm. exposure. Because tomorrow the market might be down 10%. And even though my thesis around Standard Bank is correct, maybe my Standard Bank is down 10% as well, mm. simply because I'm exposed to the market. I can hedge out that risk by shorting the Capitec, because hopefully the Capitec goes down 10% as well. Mm -hmm. Even though my thesis hasn't played itself out yet, I'm still waiting for the next set of results to demonstrate my thesis has played out. However, in the interim, I've removed that market exposure. And it allows other opportunities as well, which are also pertinent mm -hmm. to what we've discussed so far. Mm -hmm. If we take NASPERS and 10 cents mm -hmm. in process, which we discuss a lot, and we always talk about that discount and the management trying to get, get rid of that discount, what if yesterday I saw when the market opened to this news that they were mm -hmm. you know, pulling the structure apart and making it simpler and immediately that, that, that discount started narrowing, but the market doesn't quite understand what's up, you know, mm -hmm. um, we've, we've got to do our numbers first. We've got to understand, we've got to wait for the management manager presentation. So throughout yesterday, even though it narrowed, there wasn't that much value unlock. Mm -hmm. It takes, it takes a while, mm -hmm. but now I've taken the view that, listen, both of these structures, let's say NASPERS was trading at around a 16% discount to discount to, to to the underlying 10 cent and, uh, um, and, uh, oh, sorry, apologies mm -hmm. to process. Um, and process was trading at a, at a, at a 16% okay. discount to, to 10 cent. Mm -hmm. That means I'm picking up the process at a 16% discount and the NASPERS at a 32. Yeah. Now they're narrow. And yeah. now they're narrow, but they both narrowed by around 6% yesterday. Okay. But yeah. that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Because the NASPERS is trading at such a deeper discount uh -huh. relative to the total value, it should be narrowing more. Yeah. Now, I can express that view 
by buying in the NASPERS and shorting the process yeah. without taking directional exposure, without worrying about Tencent selling off overnight because we're all worried about what's happening in the, in, in the, in the Chinese economy. Yeah. So I'll buy the NASPERS and short the process. And as that thesis plays through, as the market realizes NASPERS should be trading at a narrow discount relative to where it was relative to process, uh-huh. I can, I can pick, pick up that return in a market neutral fashion without yeah. having to take any directional exposure. And that's something that shorting allows yeah. you to do, which people miss. Yeah. I don't need, always need a stock to go down. Mm-hmm. I just need it to go up less than okay. whatever I own on the other side. Okay. Well, sure, girls, I hope we really got the explanation. And I do believe that we are over time. But thank you so much. Always fun uh, talking to you and uh, learning from you. Thank you for joining us this afternoon for Stock Picks. That was Southern Cross Capital's Kovas Borgita with your Wednesday edition of Stock Picks.